helping us. Thank you that when we feel overwhelmed, we know you're right there. Whether we feel it or not, whether we have that emotional thing, we know you promised to go with us. We know you sent your Holy Spirit to live in us. We know there's not one moment when we're alone, no matter what's going on. So we thank you. And as we look at a passage that, as we look at this passage that just shows the truth of that, you're keeping power in our life. Lord, I pray we would just celebrate what you do for us and that we would consider all the things you've kept us from, all the ways when we were wavering or doubting when you stepped in to help, all the times when we didn't know what to do or we felt hopeless and you were there. Lord, we love you. Help us, help us dig deeper into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, I'm going to grab a Bible. So tomorrow I turn 37. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm getting close enough to 40 that I want to stop aging now. You know, like um, I think for many, many years I felt like I need to be older because with, with age comes more maturity, walking with the Lord and all that stuff. But now I'm kind of like, I, I'm good. I'm good. I think I'm good. But I know it only continues. So um, I also want to tell you that because... Uh, We'll be taking a week off starting Tuesday. We'll be out of town. So just so you know, I won't be in the office for a week starting t- this Tuesday. Um, I remember when, uh, before I came here, and I was talking with the search committee from Three Lakes, and they wanted to come up and, and see me uh, preach on a Sunday morning. I remember my senior pastor saying, uh, that's a good idea. I'll give up a Sunday. You know, you, you can preach and they can hear you. And, uh, and then he said, you know, maybe, maybe they should come on a youth ministry night and see you, you know? I was like, oh, that's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. To- totally different skill set, you know? I mean, yeah, I know there's relationships and there's teaching, but there, there's a little bit of unpredictability on a Wednesday night that a Sunday morning doesn't have, you know? Like, you just never know what's going to happen. I remember my last... We always did a week of prayer in Watoma, and, and one of the last times we did it, I volunteered the youth ministry to host a prayer meeting, and, and it would be during the normal youth ministry night, but anybody could come, adults, kids, everybody could come. Uh, I was really nervous going into the night. I knew it was the right thing to do, but I was nervous about it because, again, youth ministry, it's unpredictable, you don't know what's going to happen, what you're going to have to deal with. Remember that the room was full, teenagers and adults... We had some sort of activity where they got to mingle, and I, I don't know, I don't know what we did, but and, and then the prayer thing was going really well, and I was like, oh, I'm so proud of my kids, you know, they're they're doing well, we're praying together, and then we were closing the night with this circle of prayer. We were standing in a circle, we're all joining hands. It was a really great moment, you know, and you're kind of praying as you feel led, and there's some silence during it, and then prayer, and then it happened. Flatulence happened. And, you know, it kind of, it breaks the silence, and teenagers start laughing and giggling and looking at each other, and I'm like, I knew it, I knew it was going to happen, you know, I knew it. 
So that's what I'm talking about when I don't want, you know, like you can come see me in my youth ministry element, but I don't know if you want to. I don't know if I want you to because I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, we had to, we kind of closed that prayer meeting off. That was kind of over at that point. You know, we just kind of give up, wave the white flag, and, and we just kept going. There we go. Um, but I also remember leaving youth ministry and having this this feeling of the people that you invest in, the teenagers that you invest in, what's going to happen to them when you leave? Now, I know it's not all on me. I trust the Lord, but... There's been a consistency. I mean, as they're long enough, there was some consistency there. And then you walk away and you wonder, how will they turn out? And there, there's some anxiety there. There's some uh, uh, there's unknown future. And, and will they continue on the path? And the people I have pegged as leaders, will they step up and lead? Will they continue on? I was so... Uh, I felt so good. I was at Districts, the youth conference, doing a seminar two weekends ago. And uh, my old youth minister came in to visit me before my seminar. And half of them I didn't know, but, but half of them I did know. But then there was two of them, and I said, Hey, Weston, aren't you a graduate from high school? Like, you're not, you're not in this group anymore. What are you doing here? It's like, well, I'm a youth leader. I mean, that is an awesome feeling. And then there was Jewel, and I'm like, Jewel, wait a minute. You're too old for this. What are you doing? And she's like, I'm a youth leader. You know, and I'm just, that, that is one of the best things. People that, and I don't always call it right. I mean, I know I don't always call it right. But to see them step up, and, and having seen that when they were younger, but then, but then seeing them in this role now, you're just like, that is so awesome. But at the time, I didn't know it. When you step away, you don't know it. I don't think that feeling is only reserved for pastors. I think it's also reserved for parents. When you drop your kids off at college and you haul your stuff in the dorm and say goodbye and you're trying, and, and maybe you said a little prayer with them before you left and you tried to keep the lump in your throat down, you know, because you don't know. And you're turning them over. And you think, I've had 18 years with them. I've invested, 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 and spoken to their life, but what now? What happens next? Maybe when you help them move out of the house, they got their own place now. And you feel it. That, that more direct influence, that every day I see you thing, isn't happening anymore. And, and, and you feel whatever those emotions are in that moment. But you wonder. And you wish you could see into the future. I know that Jesus can see into the future. But I also know that when Jesus prayed for his disciples, which we're going to look at this morning, um, I think what you're going to see in the text is that feeling of, I'm leaving. And I, and I know Jesus, being omniscient, knows what's going to happen. I mean, he tells Peter at one point, people are going to lead you where you don't want to go, referring to Peter's death. So I, I know Jesus knows everything, but... I think you're still going to read this and you're going to see a similarity of thought. That the teacher's going, the rabbi's leaving, he's going back to his father, which is the greatest place to be, but he's leaving his dear disciples and he's not going to be with them anymore. He's not going to be there to protect them. He's not going to be there to to put his arm around them or speak to them or teach them or guide them. Well, I know that he will by the Holy Spirit. I know that but it won't be his physical 
presence standing right there in the flesh. I think you're going to see that as we look at the text today and see those emotions coming out of Jesus. Maybe we don't talk about Jesus' emotions very much, but I, mean, I feel it when I read this. So I want you to see it too. Would you look at John chapter 17, verse 6? We're doing a month of prayer, and this is one of the most famous prayers in the Bible, Jesus praying before he's arrested and then later crucified. 6 to 13, Jesus says, he's speaking to his Father now, so keep that in mind, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they've obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they, they, they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they're still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you've given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them. And I kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. You don't see it in the English text as clearly, but there's this word that Jesus keeps using. It's It's a verb, and it's the word keep. Jesus prays to the Father to keep the disciples in his name. Keep them. Keep them. But there's another keep, and I want to to look at that before I look at God keeping us. I want to talk about what we're supposed to keep. And you can see it in verse 6. He says, I've revealed you, the Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now, obey is the word keep. So, So when Jesus says later, Father, keep them in your name. That's the same word keep that's in that verse 6. They've kept your word. And and, the NIV smooths it out for us. They've obeyed your word. So, before I talk about what God does, because that's the most amazing thing here, I think, we have a part in this. We're supposed to keep the word of God. And Jesus says of his disciples, they kept your word. What does that mean? Well, NIV again, it means obey. Uh, Think about in Timothy when Paul's talking. Let me get that verse up. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So keeping the word of God has to mean that we, we, we know God's truth. Jesus says, I've, I've revealed the Father to them. I've showed who the Father is. So, so Jesus tells us truth. He teaches us truth. Doctrine. Doctrine. Our, our beliefs. We've got to keep those beliefs. Protect them. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. But the other part of it is watch your, watch your life. 
life. So, referring to obedience. Now, obedience doesn't mean salvation, but when you're saved by faith, you do obey God. That, that flows out of it. So, to Paul, it seems like he's serious enough that he's saying, you've got to be so careful, and if we use Jesus' words, you've got to be careful to keep the word both in your obedience and in your doctrine, your beliefs. Now, that's our part. That's what we do. I do think there's a couple ways where um, we can go off course in this. Uh, some Christians get this, they, they, they want to do this, but they, but they kind of go the wrong way with it. And I want to talk about a couple of the wrong ways. I mean, there's probably more. I know there's more. There's a lot more. But there's two that I want to share with you today because I think they have a lot to do with John. <clears throat> two ways Christians go off course. Uh, the first one I'd say is some of us, not all of us, some of us divide over minor biblical interpretations. Don't we? The minor things. <clears throat> I know you might not agree with me on what the minor things are, but I'm going to give a couple examples of what I mean. You, you can disagree with me. It's okay. But... I grew up in a Baptist background, and I know baptism should be by immersion. I know it. I attended a church, though, that sprinkled. And I knew they were wrong. And there was probably a part of me in my youth that would have questioned the validity of sprinkling somebody. You know, um... Now, I'm not talking about infants. That's a whole other topic. But, you know, let's talk about adult baptism, sprinkling. Uh, nowadays, it doesn't bother me as much. I mean, I still believe immersion is the way to go because baptize means immerse, so why not do it the way the word means? And Jesus went into the Jordan, and, and as much as I respected my senior pastor when I was in high school, I don't think John the Baptist sprinkled Jordan water over Jesus. I don't believe that's what it looked like. <clears throat> But what does that mean? Why do we divide over minor things? Would you look at Romans 16 with me? Romans 16. <clears throat> so I have a ministry colleague that came from another denomination. He's now in the free church. And I once asked him, I said, he was in a denomination before that's very, uh, we use the word separatistic. That they separate over minor doctrinal things, like small things. Not, not the big things like deity of Christ. If you don't believe Jesus is God, we got an issue. You know, like you, you can't be a part of this church, a member of this church, if you don't believe Jesus is God. That, that, that's a big thing. But the small things, timing of the rapture, uh, there's a variety of things. Are you Calvinist or Arminian? Did God choose you or you choose him? These things. <clears throat> but I asked him once, I said, why was the denomination you're from so separatistic? Where did, what verse did they go to to defend that? And he said, well, Romans 16, that's the one. Okay. Romans 16, 17. I urge you, brothers, <clears throat> excuse me, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you. 
But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen. Um, so, what is Paul saying here in this passage? Is he saying, I mean, I had a conversation once with someone, again, I'm not naming denominations, but it was someone in the Northwoods, and different denomination, and I said, I remember coming to a certain point where we're, we're talking about some scripture, and I said, so would you say I'm a false teacher? And he said, yes, you are. These are the passages being used to say that and to divide. What does Romans 16 really mean? Well, let's just break it down a little bit, just piece by piece. It's pretty easy to break down. The command is this. Watch out for and avoid divisive false teachers. That's verse 17. I want you to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. So two things you've got to do. Watch out for those false teachers and keep away from them. There's the division. Stay away from them. They shouldn't be part of this whole thing. So far, so good. We do separate. But then he says reasons. Reasons why we do this, which is very clarifying. The word for means, here's a reason. For, verse uh, 18, such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By the way, appetite there is referring to like your, your sinful fleshly lusts. You know, you're serving you and sinfulness. Uh, Philippians 3.19 is a parallel passage. You know, it's, it's a sinful thing you're serving, not Jesus. I'm getting the impression now that we're supposed to separate from someone who is clearly serving sin and not serving Jesus. It's not like a well-intentioned person that has a minor difference. This is a person that is, it feels like intentionally deceiving and, and, and not following Christ. Next reason. They deceive the naive. It says, by smooth talk and flattery, they've deceived the minds of naive people. Again, I see in that, in that sentence uh, intentional deception, false teaching. We want you to believe this and we're deceiving you because of it. And then it says, uh, next reason, the church not only needs obedience but wisdom. That's the end here. Everyone's heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good, innocent about what is evil. He's like, I know you're obeying. I, I know obedience is a good thing for you. But you need wisdom to know what's right, right doctrine, right belief. You've got to have wisdom for that. And then he says something really great, verse 20. The God of peace, the God who brings peace between the churches, if I could fill that in a little bit, the God who promotes peace between all believers will soon crush Satan. Satan is the liar. He's the deceiver. He is behind these false teachers. Am I one of those? I don't think our brothers and sisters in separatistic denominations understand the meaning of this passage. That, that, that we're talking about people that are in, influenced by Satan to deceive the flock of God, the sheep of God. This is evil, this is wrong, we reject this. And we also reject separating over minor reasons because that's not the point of this text. 
So I would urge you to be careful because there are some that want to make a big deal out of a small thing. In the free church, you know, if you want to look at our literature, we try to boil it down to ten different doctrinal statements, and we say, these are the big rocks. These are the big things. We're going to be charitable in the smaller things. The second way I think sometimes we go off course with this whole um, keeping the Word of God. Sometimes we keep it to the point where we want to separate from everybody, you know. And then other times we're so worried about keeping it because we might offend somebody. Sometimes we worry. Do you ever worry sometimes that keeping Jesus' commands will make you unloving? Like, if you really do what Jesus says, somehow you will be unloving to your neighbors, to the community. Or even if you're not really being unloving, they're going to think you're being unloving, and so it just doesn't make sense. You know, why would I keep the commands of God if I know someone's going to call me unloving? Shouldn't we loosen them a little bit according to cultural standards? Don't, don't, don't we worry about I worry about it. What will people think? Uh, would you look at John 14, 23? Now we're back in John. If you kept your finger there, it won't take you long to get there. Just a couple chapters before our, the, the prayer we're looking at. Chapter 14, 23. Oh, and here it is on the screen. I forgot I did that. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come into him and make our home in him. So if you love God, you end up obeying his teaching. And we know God is love. God is love. And, and the Trinity wants to live in us. And I, and I love this because my Father and I will make our home in you. Now you know, based on Paul's teaching, that he's, they're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. But the Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of Christ. Somehow, even having the Spirit live in you is like having the Trinity live in you. Uh, that's deeper than I know. How about an easier one? Next one. Um, next John passage. Jesus says, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in His love. So, do you really want to love your neighbors well? Do you really want to love your community well? Do you really want to love the person who's antagonistic to spiritual things? If you want to do that, you can't do it by compromising the Word of God. Does that make sense? Because if you don't keep the Word of God, you can't stay in the Father's love. You see? You can't say, well... Those New Testament commands are hard, and, and I'm not worried about them. I think we just need to love and kind of... No, love is connected to obeying the commands. You can't separate them. You cannot separate them. We have nothing to apologize for when it comes to keeping the Word of God. We have nothing to apologize for. And in fact, when you keep them correctly, you will love better than what you used to, because you actually abide in his love in a better way. I hope that helps you when you're tempted to believe like the, some of the world believes that biblical commands are somehow unloving to people around us. You can certainly carry them out in an unloving way. I understand that. Some Christians are arrogant, rude, hateful. I know. But it shouldn't be. 
Okay, so that's our part. We're supposed to keep the Word of God. Now I want to talk about maybe the more amazing part, how God keeps us. Okay, so if you're with me on chapter 17 again, uh, we are looking at verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I want to dig in here a little bit. So, who's doing the protecting here? It's the Holy Father. The Father keeps us in His name, and I think we'll be on the next point, A, Jim. Um, Who keeps us? The Holy Father. Think about that. He's holy, meaning He's completely different. He's separate. He dwells in the highest of heavens in glory. He rules from on high. He's different than us. And when you have a being that's completely different and ruling from on high, that seems far away, except you've called him now the Holy Father. You've called him Father, meaning he's close. He listens. He helps. He's like a dad. He's a father. You call him holy because he wants you to keep his word. He wants you to obey him. He wants you to be holy as he is holy. But he's also near. He's the Father. You don't see as much father talk in the Old Testament. Jesus is revealing something to us about the nature of God's care for us. He's like a father. So the father keeps us, the holy father. Um, My second question, if we can pull that up, is uh, how does he keep us? Well, he keeps us in his name. If you want to look at the verse again, this is interesting. So he says, uh, holy father, protect them by the power or Keep them, is the word. Keep them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. They may be one as we are one. Keep them in the power of your name. Now, the word power is not there in the Greek text. Just so you know, if you want to strike it from the NIV, that's fine. Don't do it to our Bibles, maybe in the church. I don't know. That probably wouldn't be a good idea. But, you know, um, the the word power is not there. It's, It's keep them in your name. So my question is, and my question for all of us is, What does it mean to say, I mean, to keep us means he's protecting our faith. We're going to stay in the faith. We're going to, he's going to protect us. He's going to keep us. That's really important. That one of the reasons I'm still a Christian today is because the Father keeps me. But what does it mean to say he keeps me in his name? I had all sorts of ideas early in the week. I thought, well, His name's Yahweh, right? Or as the Jews would pronounce it, Adonai. That's the sacred name of God. The the one that they would wash their hands before they wrote it. Is it that name? And then later in the week I was thinking, no, 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 no. It's Holy Father. That's his name. That's what Jesus, who's Jesus praying to. It's the Holy Father. That's the name he's protecting us by. He gives us his holiness. That may make sense. And then I was like, okay, look at the verse again. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I'm like, oh no, it's Jesus' name. Right? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That's a powerful name. So whose name is it? And I wrestled with this all week long. I kept going from point to point to point. I think in the context of the passage, what we're talking about is how Jesus revealed, like in verse 6, I revealed you to those whom you gave me. I think what Jesus is saying is, I revealed the Father 
to the disciples. You can't see God, just like we looked at last week. Moses wanted to see it, but he couldn't see the whole thing. But if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. I think when he says, the name, the name you gave me, he's saying, we share a name, and I'm revealing the Almighty God to human beings who never had a hope of seeing God. They'd be, they'd be scared to see the glory of God in the Old Testament, but now they can see it because they've seen Jesus. I think that's what he means. But let me ask you this. How does it work? How does God's name keep you and me? That's kind of an important question because if you say that God's name keeps you, protects you, don't you think you should understand how that works? I think there's two options, and I think either one are perfectly fine ways to answer this. See what you think. First option. Uh, we could pull that up. Hopefully I gave it up there. It, it could refer to the power of the name. The power. So when, 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 when Jesus was surrounded in the garden and all the soldiers were there, who are you, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, and uh, who, Jesus, I'm he, you know. Jesus answers and there's some sort of power encounter. And, and all, of the, all the soldiers kind of just like fall down when he says, I'm he. They just kind of fall. Power. And one day we know when they say, this is Jesus Christ, every knee has to bow. Even the ones that don't like him, they have to bow. At the, that's a powerful name. Jesus can cast out demons in that name. The disciples can cast out demons in Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name. It's a powerful name. Jesus says, start asking for things in my name. It could mean that when you know someone's name, you know them personally. And when you know God, you know the most powerful being, and that being will keep you. He'll keep you in his name. His name is powerful, and the fact that you're a Christian, the fact that you bear his name is a powerful thing that just keeps you on the straight and narrow path to eternal life. I think it's the second version, though, that this is my understanding. second version is uh, to, keep, uh, to keep you in the name refers to loyalty to God. You'll remain loyal to him. Why do I think it's loyalty? Now, now in that version of in your name, what we're saying is um, it's like, like uh, Christy, where are my keys? They're in the drawer. That, that, that's the location that they're at. Okay? Uh, where's my car? It's in the garage. He's kept us in his name. So in that version, God, in all of his mighty power, you could say it's his mighty hand or his mighty spirit, God and all of his power is keeping you in his name. It's a location. You will bear the name Christian the rest of your life because he's keeping you in it. You're not powerful enough, but he's powerful enough. Now, I think this flows really well because what's the next thing Jesus says in the passage? He deals with a tricky, sticky point. What about people who walk away from the faith? What about Judas? He wasn't loyal. He didn't seem to be kept in the name. Look, um, while I was with them, verse 12, I protected them and I kept them safe by that name you gave me. In other words, they bear the name Christ. They're a Jesus 
follower, disciple. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. The Bible predicted Judas's betrayal. It's the way it had to be. There was no other way to avoid that particular line. Yes, I know Judas made a choice. It's free will. But it was going to, it was predicted. It was going to happen. It was predicted. Judas wasn't loyal. And I think sometimes we hear stories of people who've left the church, left the faith. You know them. I know them. And it kind of shakes you up a little bit. I remember talking with someone who left the faith, and it's just I just want to ask him this question. Do you miss Jesus yet? Maybe you've left the faith, and you're sitting here now just maybe checking things out. I'd ask you, do you miss Jesus yet? You know the story. You know he died on the cross for you, paid for your sins. Personally, I couldn't imagine walking away from him. I couldn't imagine walking away from him and what that would feel like. So yeah, I, like anybody else, can deal with doubts. I think we all have doubts. But if the rubber was going to meet the road, could I actually walk away from this? No. And I know part of that is because the main thing is the Father has kept me. He's kept you. Jesus has revealed who God is. I can't walk away from that. And I pray that you will never walk away from that. And so Jesus' prayer to the Father is this. I'm leaving. I'm coming back home, Father. I'm leaving these cherished people behind. Please, please keep them in your name. Keep them loyal to you. And whether whether that keeping your name is about the power of the name or about the location, being in the name, I think it means the same thing at the bottom at the end of it all. It means God in his power will keep you on the path. He will help you make it home. As Paul would say, I finished the race. He helps you finish the race. No matter what. What's the result of all of this? Uh, the result of, of praying this prayer is that uh, in verse 11, they may be one as we are one. Uh, the results are loving unity. We're all in this together. I know there's denominational differences. We'll probably look at those again in a few weeks because Jesus, Jesus is going to pray this thing twice, by the way, this unity thing. But I kind of say this today. We divide over a lot. But my challenge to you is to stop embracing those divisions. I, I know we got differences in doctrine, and, and, and I know that there are certain things we're not going to teach here, and it's not going to change. I mean, we're not going to teach certain things here. That's the way it is. But those people that worship down the road are my brothers and sisters if they believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. I don't want to treat them differently than that. So I can have my doctrinal differences, but... I can also say we're family. We're family. And somehow you've got to be able to do that because that's exactly what Jesus prayed would happen, that we would be one. 
Again, I'm going to come back to this in a few weeks because Jesus keeps talking about this. But for now, I think it's enough to say Jesus showed the Father. Jesus and the Father want to live in us by the Spirit as we looked at earlier. And we've all believers in Christ have that Spirit. We've all drank from the same place. If you feel shaky in your faith today, if you have doubt today, maybe your takeaway today is this. The Father is helping keep you. And he's got a lot of power to do it. Let's pray, worship team. Father, um, I know for all of us there are times, there are moments when our faith seems shattered, when the doubt seems insurmountable, when we see people walk away like the rich man from Jesus, like Judas who betrayed him, and it just rocks us to the core. Lord, I pray for anyone going through that right now that you would keep them, that you would sustain them, that you would keep them in your name. And whether that's referring to the power of the name or whether it's referring to the location, being in Christ, I know that the result is the same. You see us through this life, you walk with us through it, and you hold our hand as we walk into eternity. We thank you so much for this awesome, awesome prayer that Jesus prayed.